This Week in Startups is brought to you by Roman. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to talk about, but now there's Roman. Go to GetRoman.com twist to get $15 off your first order of ED treatment, a free online visit, and free two-day shipping. Dell's Precision and XPS product lines can bring your vision to life. They are masterfully crafted from premium materials like machined aluminum and carbon fiber. You can also sign up for a free IT consultation at launch.co slash Dell. And our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OurCROWD.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. Very excited to have our next guest on, who has made a lot of noise in the last year or two on Twitter, doing a number of different projects from a rolling fund to buying out his investors to dunking on everybody in every direction on Twitter. <laughs> and Not via VC Braggs. <laughs> not VC Braggs. He's not VC Braggs, nor am I. But we do appreciate <laughs> satire, I think. And his name is Sahil Laving- Lavinga. Lavinga is how Lavingia. you pronounce it. Lavingia. 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 Yeah. Lavingia. What's the origin of Lavingia? I'm just curious. Like, I've never heard the name. Lavingia. Yeah, it's 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 pretty unique, and I don't know exactly, but oh. I think uh, I think it means loving is a it's like bean, and ia is kind of short for like wala, which means seller in ah, Hindi. So I think it's cool. like person who sells beans or something, or fireworks. Apparently, is the other one I heard, which oh, sounds okay. cool, cooler. Lavingia, yeah. So uh, if you ever are thinking of a startup <laughs> and you want to create a marketplace for fireworks, <laughs> which mu- I mean, you can't buy fireworks online, can you? Yeah, that's a good that's a good opportunity. Oh my lord, it's a great opportunity. So where to begin? You're an entrepreneur who then got into investing and then has recently, I think we should start with what's most recent and most interesting. Yeah. You had a startup, you have a startup Gumroad. And tell everybody what Gumroad does. Yeah, so Gumroad helps content creators uh, sell digital products directly to their audiences. So we help musicians, designers, writers, filmmakers, photographers, all sorts of different types of creators sell digital products, online courses. Now we have a memberships product uh, to sort of D to C. Got it. So if I wanted to sell my podcast or my blog posts or any number of items, photos, videos, whatever it is, a course, Instead of just setting up, uh, you know, a website and a Stripe and a type form or whatever, you have that all in one package to manage easily. Exactly. Exactly. And I guess there's Review, which was bought by Twitter, does this for newsletters. Substack does it for newsletters. I'm trying to think of your contemporaries. Ghost, I guess, is a platform that Ghosts, does. Uh, Patreon, Teachable. It's a, it's a pretty busy, busy marketplace. Right. And, and how did this, you came up with this idea how many years ago? In 2011, I wow. wanted to sell this pencil icon that I designed in Photoshop to my 2000 Twitter followers. And it was oh. just a pain to hook up Got all it. these things together and use PayPal. And, you know, this is pre-Stripe. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the origin of Gumroad. So, very interesting. I remember you raised a bunch of money from Kleiner Perkins. And the business, correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of stuttered or didn't get traction in the early days uh, and then had a couple of bumps in the road? Yeah. So, we, yeah, we raised the money uh, and, you know, it was a hot deal. So, we, we raised our A 
sort of pre-product market fit. Wow. Uh, Congrats. We raised sort of seven, seven, or seven or eight million bucks and, uh, and spent, you know, th- you know, we're, it was just me at the time. So it was like, you know, we, we had three or four years worth of runway before we had to go out and raise. And I thought everything was great. We were growing. I mean, we were definitely up and to the right, you know, but up and to the right is not enough uh, for, for, it's for not? most VCs. <laughs> I thought up and to the right was the idea here. <laughs> up and to the up right, to the not right fast the, enough. <laughs> yeah. Like not compounding month over month, more like, oh. you know, growing 60, 80% year over year, you know, oh, okay. three years in. So, so um, you were yeah. slow growth in our industry. Mm-hmm. Generally in our industry, you're an investor now. People are looking for in the early stages, two or three X year over year. Yeah, exactly. And you were behind that, but you weren't, not growing, so that's a good thing. And then a lot of activity started many years after you started this process. And I guess maybe you were early. If would you say you were early? Yeah, I think I think we were early to a degree. Like I think the creator economy, especially with COVID, has seen a huge uptick uh, just generally. Uh, so you know, we wouldn't have been able to raise at this price like even a year ago, right? Like I think it is really this kind of new macro, a lot of macro shifts that have happened. Um, yeah, I think it's mostly we were early and mostly like I didn't understand, like I didn't do enough market reach. I didn't really understand like how early it was and how small the market was and how, you know, like the LTV of a creator is very different from the LTV of a startup, right? And so I saw Stripe and I was like, oh, we're going to be like Stripe for this new market. But that new market was, you know, absolutely tiny and still is, you know, even today, it still is very, very small. And I hope that it's early days, you know, mm. for it. And just recently, like at the taping of this 48 hours before I think we started taping this episode, you uh, on republic.co, which is an equity crowdfunding site, launched one of the first $5 million equity crowdfundings because as part of the SEC's, is that the Jobs Act? They did crowdfunding regulations and they expanded it. It used to be you could raise up to a million a year, but now it's gone up to $5 million a year. Is this the first time you've done an equity crowdfunding raise? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It Tell is, us it about is the, the process. Um, wh- why did you choose to do this as opposed to going to VCs? And then how did it go? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think Gumroad is a great business that's growing. You know, we grew 97%, I think last year, or 87% or something last year because of, you know, in large part due to COVID. And so I think we have a great business. It's just still not venture capital scale in my, in my view. And, and we're profitable. We, we made a million bucks in profit last year. So um, yeah, I just thought it would be nice to have a little bit more money, uh, but I don't need to raise money from from VCs. And I have sort of built a lot of this stuff in, out in the open in the last few years, ever since I wrote that post on failing uh, to build a billion dollar company. And I just thought it, you know, it fit, it fit very much in line with like what I care about, which is like, and a lot of what you care about, right, which is like democratizing the ability to invest in early stage tech companies. And I just felt like I'm a, I'm a VC now with a rolling fund. I have a startup that I run too. Like I, I'm well positioned for this. And so when I saw that the, the reg CF changes were happening to increase the limit to 5 million on yesterday, on March 15th, 2021, I was like, cool, let's do it. Like, let's mm-hmm. do it. The minute it goes live, uh, it makes, you know, let's start, start it off with a bang. Uh, and I hope, you know, I hope, I hope it continues to grow and there are a lot more companies, but you know, to your point of like the process of doing it, it's, it's like putting up a Kickstarter campaign, except you have to get audited <laughs> right. by a bunch of people. And the auditing basically just means accountants come in, lawyers come in and they just fine tooth comb, make sure that almost like a public offering, because we did one for inside.com, 
which is actually I realized we're living parallel lives. I'm doing inside.com, a, con a content <laughs> company. You have a rolling fund. I have a regular fund. I have the syndicate.com, the largest angel syndicate in the world, and you are now doing equity crowdfunding. So we, we, you don't have a syndicate, though. You didn't start <laughs> no, a syndicate. No, I, I don't have a syndicate. Um, well, I, and it, it is interesting to be on both sides of the table. What have you learned now, and what do you appreciate about being on both sides of the table that you didn't appreciate when you were just a founder and weren't actually writing checks? I definitely think... Similar to you, I think being a founder turned VC like is generally you know, like you know you you have a lot. I think I think VCs generally have less empathy for the for, for the founders just because the job of a founder is just like I think way more brutal and oh. multi dimensional. Right. I mean, so is there anything brutal about being an investor? To be honest, I mean, no. Like I I mean I hate I mean I'll be honest, no. I mean like the most <laughs> brutal day is like ah I put a bunch of money of other people's money into that company, I put my name on the line, and they totally dropped the ball and. I guess I look bad. Like, that's kind of the worst day, right? Yeah. Is you kind of lose credibility because you made a bet that didn't pay off. But that's kind of like losing a hand of poker in a poker tournament. It's like, well, there's other tournaments and there's other hands and you didn't lose your whole chip stack. So keep playing the game. Yeah. Yeah. Being a founder is like, you know, going all in. You have one hand. <laughs> like, you hope that it and your entire works net out for worth you every three years. In the whatever. pot. <laughs> it's like, I just shoved my entire net worth into the pot. <laughs> Please let these aces hold up. Yeah. And, you know, raising a Series A with, you know, pre product market fit is like, you know, doing oh, that without, with without looking at seeing. one card. <laughs> You're like, oh, a king. Hmm. Wonder what the other card is. Oh, deuce. That's helpful. <laughs> Not suited. <laughs> Fuck. I really need two kings or two deuces here, please. Yeah. So you hit, let's, let's talk about the, the scar tissue you have because you've been super honest about it. It's like one of the things that I, I was like watching you on Twitter. I was like, this guy is really noisy uh, and maybe on the margins annoying. And I was like, Oh, wait a second. That's the, that's the definition of my career. <laughs> I was like, but he's getting a lot of shit done. So we got to get this guy on the pod and I need to know everything. <laughs> so let's go right to it. Klein and Perkins put all this money in. I'm not insulting you. I'm appreciating you. <laughs> it's like the same thing. I, it's the same criticism of me. They're like, this guy's just making it. Who's this spastic guy, Jason Calacat, is doing like a hundred projects, uh, you know, a month. And it's like, I'm just trying to get something to stick. I'll be totally honest. <laughs> I'm just trying over here to have something I throw at the wall, not fall straight down. It can be awkward or embarrassing to talk about erectile dysfunction, ED. Usually we just brush it off. Maybe we blame ourselves. But Roman is here to get the advice you want and the help you need with no shame. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship you real medicine with free two-day shipping. The whole process is super straightforward, it's simple, and... Importantly, it's discreet. Nobody knows what you're getting. It comes in a nice concealed package. So erectile dysfunction used to be tough to talk about, but now there's Roman. And getting started is so simple. Just go to getroman.com slash twist and you will get $15 off your first order of ED treatment, a free online visit, and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash twist for $15 off your first order of ED treatment, a free online visit, and free two-day shipping. GetRoman.com slash twist. Thanks again to Roman for supporting this week in startups. So let's talk about the Kleiner relationship, because you detail this. 
Mm-hmm. Client puts his money in, pre-product market fit. Always a bad idea to put a lot of money into a company before product market fit because why? Because, you know, you're committed for the next f- at least five years of your life mm-hmm. and you're you can't really change, you know, people say what raising venture is like putting, you know, f- gasoline on a fire or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't really want to, you don't, or, or maybe like, a, you know, a rocket ship or whatever, right? You don't want to like point that in the wrong direction. And then like two years later, but you kind of have to, when you raise that capital, mm-hmm. you, it's very difficult. Like people say, you know, you can raise more and just not spend it, but that's very difficult. It's very hard not to not to spend money if it's if it's right there. And and you have a team that wants, you know, it's, there's a lot of people who want this thing to work. And if you don't signal to everybody that you just raised from Kleiner and things are working, like you're you're kind of like it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of it not working. So you just mm-hmm. kind of have to go into it. And you basically see a wall in front of you and you're like, I hope I make it, you know, like I hope I go fast. You don't slow down, you go faster, right? In a way, it's like trying to take off, you know, a pretty big plane on a very short runway. You're like, well, we got to hit the throttle and we, uh, let's hope for the best. But you only, most products don't get product market fit. So it is a much better alternative to put in 500K or 2 million, let the founder get to product market fit, get to 10K, 20K, 30K a month, and then give them the next tranche. That's what you do as an angel investor now or an early stage investor, right? Exactly. Yeah. You give them 100K, 250K. And they have a year, you know, to figure out if this thing that they're building has legs and then you can raise more capital. And I, yeah, I think looking back, I think I was just so new to Silicon Valley and I just mm. wanted that credibility and that kind of stamp of approval. Mm. And, it is and, a big you know, deal, was, right? Like it's, it, that approval means something. I agree with you. When I had Sequoia back me, I was like, whoa, I've arrived. And other people said that to me, whoa, you've arrived. It, it really, I mean, you know, it's, it's easy to sometimes like think that I'm a hypocrite because I'm like telling people not to raise money, but I've gained so much value from from raising money, right? And I, uh, I think you're totally right. Like the the truth is, like people do care. Like people, you know, Sequoia is is putting real skin in the game. They have a reputation. Like mm-hmm. they don't do these deals very frequently, and it does mean something. And it means something to your uh, employees. It means something to your customers. It means something to your to press. It means something to future investors. Like it really does. It can really, really matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you have that opportunity, you know, like when Kleiner sort of gave us the term sheet, um, got another one from Index, you know, it was kind of like so few people ever get this opportunity. Like, right. I have to take, you don't even think about it because you're like, this is such a rare yeah. thing. And I'm like, I was 19, I think at the time. And I was you were like, 19? wow, I can, oh my I can lock Lord. this thing down and, and you know, and- uh, That's a big deal, of, dude, to, to get that level of venture firm. You're, you're c- absolutely correct that, that's like being 19 and they're like, would you, here, here, would you like to play Batman or Superman? You know, and you're like, uh, okay, well, those are career defining, <laughs> you know, <laughs> roles. Uh, I'll take Batman. <laughs> you know, like, what are you going to do? You have to take the role. It's just too big of an opportunity. And then you started running out of money at some point and you yeah, did 20, this. Yeah, 2014. You're yeah. now sitting there as a 23-year-old founder no now now i'm 20 oh no back then yeah i was 22 yeah 22 i think at the you're time. 22 you're staying up at night staring at the ceiling you got that thing in the bottom of your stomach like oh my god i took the role of batman and this film's gonna suck and i'm running out of money did you have that like disastrous feeling yeah i remember the first i was so naive like i went into you know i had some vcs that i considered friends and so those are the first people i talked to when i was thinking about the series b you know in 2015 late 2014 
And I remember the first meeting I was in Koopa Cafe with John Lilly from Greylock. And he was he was looking at the deck and he's like, amazing product, amazing team. You're fucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're gonna he didn't say it exactly like that, but you know, he was like, How you're exactly gonna have a were like, you, you gotta, effed? How how what was his uh explanation to you of why you were completely effed? It was just like the, you know, you know, Josh Koppelman has this quote, there's nothing like, you know, numbers to fuck up a good story, right? Uh-huh. And I think I just had, there was just too much data that showed that Gumroad was not working. It was like not going to, you know, if you have a three or four year old company with a bunch of people, you've shipped a ton of product and every everything else is working. So, you know, you know like it seems it should have worked that it just like the market was just not there. And, you know, we, we, I think we grew like, you know, 60% in 2014 or something. And it was just like, you're not like, you, what would you, you know, need to clear a market in your mind? Do you think? I need at least two X, at least two X. Yeah. And probably, frankly, probably more. Cause we mm-hmm. had done the A from Kleiner and it had been three years since that round. Mm-hmm. And so the B would have had, you know, the B would have had to have been like a kind of an, you know, an interesting kind of thing. I think we three, three X is probably closer to what it should have been. Cause we weren't even at, I think like a million ARR at that point, right? Like it was early, uh, in the, in the life of the, of the company. It turns out, I didn't know it at the time. I thought it was near the end of it, but, uh, luckily things worked out. So you wind up signing a fateful bridge round with Kleiner. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, you know, I, I went back to Kleiner and I was like, this looks difficult. Uh, you know, and I frankly wish that Kleiner had given me a heads up that this, you know, I thought they would have known this sort of thing before, but I guess they have a lot of investments, but, uh, yeah, they gave us a bridge round. They said, you know, like, you don't have to let anyone go. Like, just like take this money. It was $2 million at a four X preference gives, you know, gave me a year with the team. And, and I told the team this four X preference means they get $8 million back before they that converts into equity. So they're guaranteed to get four times their money back in any sale. Company sells for 8 million, they get that first 8 million. Yeah, exactly right. So we had raised with the bridge and everything at that point a little over $10 million, but it, we would have had to have sold for at least 16.5, I believe, to have, you know, for any common stockholders to kind of get anything anything. And this uh, is the is, this is where the details of funding rounds really matter. And those liquidation preferences are generally a signal that the VC wants to protect downside and they they actually don't happen all that often in the last decade because they'd rather you just shut the company down, correct? Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Like when you when you start getting into bad terms, mm-hmm. it's not even worth it, right? Like at some point it becomes a uh, and I'm, you know, I don't know why Kleiner did. It. I'm grateful that they did, but like it, it sort of becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Like once you have something like that on your cap table, unless you really, you know, there's a miracle in the next six months or so. Yep. Uh, you're, you know, we, we, it was not going to ever work. Uh, and I should have, in hindsight, should have said, you know, maybe we'll do a million dollar bridge, but we need to like, you know, like let half the company go and give us, you know, two to three years more. Like, you know, Clean nine terms. months to figure this thing out clean terms you probably learn now are the goal for a reason, right? Because you just said it, it kind of screws up future fundraisings to have some funky Forex liquidation preference on the cap table. It does. And I think, you know, as an investor, I'm, I'm grateful for that experience because I tell founders this all the time. And I'm like, I'll pass on, you know, I'll pass on a company that's giving me amazing terms because I'm like, these are too good. Like, don't, you're going to, yes. you're taking this, like, this is short term, you're, you're, you know, or, or it's too good for the, for me, right? It's like 40% dilution at a seed round. And I'm like, look, 
you're, you, this is going to make your life very, 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 very difficult. Uh, you don't see it yet. Uh, but when, when thing, and, and, and certainly a lot of this stuff doesn't matter if you're a clubhouse, right. But like yeah. most companies are not. And, no, no. And, uh, you, you got, it's it just, I think when you're in it, you're like, you just kind of start to believe that a little bit too much. You know, I was 19, had raised 8 million bucks from Kleiner and Naval and Max Levchin. And I was, and, you know, I was like, I have a shot at this. Mm. T- tell me, so the company then uh, buys out Kleiner or Kleiner gives you the company back? How did that go down? Yeah. It's, it's kind a, of the dream, it's a, it's isn't a, it? <laughs> It, it is. Uh, frankly, I mean, it's, it's, it is, uh, what happened was, so we did the bridge, we tried to make it work. You know, I spent nine months like pitching the company. To, I think I met with 150 different VCs because it turns out when, when Kleiner leads your A, like every firm will take the meeting, even though yes. they don't plan on doing the round. Right. So yeah. I just had so many meetings that went nowhere, but fool's yeah, we, gold, we, we, right. It's like you, it, it's fool's gold. Yeah, you you yeah, have. It doesn't matter if you're ninety percent of the way there, right? Yeah. You, you've that, been anointed you know, like, in Silicon Valley, so people are like, "Oh, maybe that is the next Google." Since Kleiner did Google, uh, Series A, so I have no choice. I had the same thing happen to me with Mahalo, which then became Inside. When I after I, the Sequoia announcement, my phone just went off the crazy, and there's a group of VCs who follow, you know, Kleiner in their heyday, yeah. and then everybody, you know, and then my Series B went through like boop. I, I, I raised a $16 million Series B at a $100 million valuation before we launched the product. Wow. It was crazy. That's crazy. That is crazy. And yeah, I mean, we, you know, so we did this this round of layoffs in, in October or so of 2015 after trying for nine months to raise money and failing. And then we went to from 20 to five and then five to one. And I just basically ran it like a lifestyle business, I guess, mm. for years, for at least a couple of years, would hire contractors back you know, to fix bugs, hire a support person, but everyone kind of just like consulting for the, you went into cockroach mode. It was, yeah, it was, it was cockroach mode for at least a couple of years. I moved to Provo, Utah from San Francisco and learned to, I was basically oil painting like (laughs) full time. And then I would, you know, kind of check in on Slack every once in a while. And you mean literally burnt. I mean, oil painting is not a metaphor in this case. Yeah. In this case, I, yeah, I was like, what's the opposite of a hyper growth, high scale technology startup, <laughs> like oil painting, traditional oil painting. Really? Uh, yeah. That's fascinating. Um, what did you paint? Landscapes? Landscapes. Yeah. I would yeah. literally just go out, see a barn and paint the barn. And then. How long yeah, did it take people, you yeah. to decompress from the stress of those five years or so? I would, I would say, I mean, I really think that when I, when I published that failure post reflecting on my failure to build a billion dollar company, that was February, 2019, that, that is roughly what, how long it took. Wow. Uh, and it not only took the time, but it took the distance, you know, cause I was an SF from 2015 to 2017. So I was still there, but when you're an SF, like with a, fa- you know, like as a sort of quote unquote failure, like, oh, it's brutal. you're just what I'm like, and it's not to anyone's, you know, it's not malice, but it's like, you're, why are you here? Right. It's like going to a party yeah. and being married and you're, people are like, what are you, you know, you don't really need to be here right now. Yeah. Like, you're married. You got kids at home. What are you doing here? You're at spring you're break. Spending and four you... grand a month, like living yeah. in SF for, for like, you know, no reason. Like, so I, yeah, it was, it was the distance. I think it was hanging out with people who like, didn't care about startups at all. That really mm. helped me, I think, realize like, oh, maybe I shouldn't either, you know? Ah, so you you were able to put things in context, the success, the failure, the ups, the downs. And then at some point, I see you pop up with this new device uh, that Angelus comes out with called a rolling venture fund. 
that uh, my understanding is David Sachs and Naval came up with this concept. Um, uh, David Sachs, bestie from the All In podcast, and who's on the board of uh, AngelList. And so, tell me what is a rolling fund? When did they contact you about it? And when did you decide, hey, I should be a venture capitalist since I totally failed and got my ass kicked and had to go. <laughs> worked out for Jason. So. <laughs> yeah, it worked out for that kid. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> I went through a slightly different route. I took the scouts route, but yeah. <laughs> chip in a, yeah we call this, that in poker, chip in a chair. You know, you have that chip. <laughs> you know the story, chip in a chair, right? No, I don't. I don't. Tell oh, it's a famous poker situation where this guy made a bet. He thought he was going all in. And so let's say he had $10,000 in chips. So he takes the $9,000 in chips and he bets it. But he assumed he went all in. He didn't see the chip that was wedged under the table. It was out of his view. The other people could see it. He puts the $9,000 in. The you know uh, hand plays out. He loses. He gets up. And then a person points and goes, you still have a chip. He takes the $1,000 chip out. He throws it out. He wins the hand. Now he's got $2,000. Or no, he and he wins you know, the hand and, he, and he, two people had called him or whatever. And he wins $3,000. And he's like, well, you know, this is meaningless in this tournament. The average stack is, you know, whatever, 20,000. So he just, you know, waits a hand or two and he just throws the $3,000 and doubles up again or triples up again. And then he winds up making it to the final table and, of course, winning the tournament. Mm -hmm. Chip in wow. a chair. You're never out of the game if you have one chip, right? And that is just so yeah. important for people to realize because you are the manifestation of chip in a chair, um, which we'll get to in a minute. How can Dell's Precision or XPS line of amazing computers bring your vision to life? Well, whether you're a creative enthusiast or you're a professional, find out which brand is right for you. XPS and Precision products are masterfully crafted from premium materials like machined aluminum and carbon fiber. They're just stunning and they deliver the perfect balance of size, weight, and durability because we're all going to be getting on the road again i can't wait so explore how far your passions can go with dell laptops desktops and workstations that are optimized for your creative endeavors and everybody's getting in on creative work everybody's making videos now logos design and as the world's number one monitor company i didn't even know that dell has the perfect monitor for you i am using right now this gorgeous i think it's 49 or 50 inches 50 inch dell monitor it is stunning beautiful widescreen monitors change everything and they come curved now so they look really great and they'll elevate your creative vision with 4k 8k hdr and of course my favorite the really beautiful curved displays that have a wider gamut of all of the premier colors that you want to see so Dell for Entrepreneurs is here to help with any IT projects you have. Go to launch.co slash Dell and sign up for a free start IT consultation. Thanks again to Dell for sponsoring This Week in Startups. You, Gumroad, just chugs along while you're painting oil. I know you do the rolling phones. We'll talk about that in a minute. But to dovetail yeah, yeah. with where we started, at some point, the business starts growing again. When does it, yeah. or, or did it just always grow 60% and then you wake up one day with a $5 million business? It, it what happened was, uh, in, so we, we grew around 60% in 2015, 2016 or whatever it was in 2017, you know, this is like, we had no blog, we had no Twitter, like, you know, it was all yeah. inactive. And, and, and the test was like, will this keep going? Right. Like, oh. should, like, let's just see if it keeps going, if it keeps going for, it would have to be a long time, uh, but like, I don't, I don't need to shut this down preemptively, right? Like I can just let it, let it do its thing. 
Uh, and uh, in 2017, we grew 15% year over year. In 2018, I started hiring a couple folks and shipping features again and fixing bugs. We grew 25%. In 2019, we grew 40%. And in 2020, we grew, I believe it ended up being 87%. Wow. So you almost got your double up and now you're sitting on a business that's doing- <laughs> Nine years in. Well, I mean, it is really chipping a chair. You know, you, you thought you're out of it. And then it starts every year doubling or tripling or, you know, whatever. Every two years doubling or tripling is basically what's happening here. You know, all of a sudden you break in 2020 $10 million in volume a month, right? Mm -hmm, and then you exactly. make, what do you get, 30% of every transaction or 20% of every oh, transaction? No. We, we take a lot less. So we take 7%. Seven, 7 ah, so. Um, but still, still ends up, we're at 10 million. We're actually at 12 million now annualized revenue. Is that the 7% or is that the top line? That's that's the 7%. So the, the, oh, wow. the top line is around uh, 180 or so million a year now. Annualized. What, what are people buying $180 million with? What's the top two or three customers, products, it's, things being sold? I'm curious. Well, it, it's all, you know, it's all a plurality, right? Like there's no majority. There's, there's like education software, like people learning how to code, people learning design, videos, YouTube stuff. Like uh, there's like eBooks, documentaries. Uh, comics is all over the place, which did is kind of why I think Gumroad is. Yeah. Did, did you win because you had the lowest take rate? Because I know Patreon was at 10% and they tried to go to 15 and the audience went crazy. I know mm -hmm. Substack's at 10. I'm trying to, I don't, yeah. Ghost charges SaaS fees. I'm thinking about moving yeah, the launch is, ticker yeah. to Ghost to just, you know, because they have a newsletter slash, you know, stuff. It's a good idea. I, I've heard really good things about Ghost. Yeah. yeah. But that's just like, I think, for newsletters. So it, it, did you win by lowering that take rate and then people just picked you because it, it's got all the same features and it's good, but it's 30% less or, you know, depending, maybe even two thirds less. Yeah, I, I think that's a big part. And, you know, definitely the advice VCs will tell you is don't compete on price, right? Like that's, huh. that's dangerous. Uh, yeah. but, but, but we did and it, 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 you know, we made it up in volume per se, right? Like it took yeah. us a long time to make it interesting, but it, it, we finally got there. I did say the other thing is like we, I've always been focused, probably too focused if, if you care really about growth on just like tiny creators, like helping people get start, like the on ramp of the creator economy. Like what's the easiest way to sell a PDF on the internet to your Twitter followers? Then you can worry if it works, you can worry about all the other stuff you and off. And frankly, like a lot of people churn, like a lot of people graduate to some of these other products and platforms because they have a lot more functionality. I hoped over, over the next couple of years to play catch up. We're, we're kind of playing catch up, right? But we have a couple of years to, to get out of the hole in terms <laughs> so of tech, tech what, debt and stuff. What happened with Kleiner? They just gave you the company back for a dollar and you, and they, or they, you buy their shares back for a dollar so they can take well, the loss against all their gains, phenomenal gains what, they had as a firm. Yeah. In, in 2017, I told Kleiner, I emailed, I emailed all our investors. One thing I had done this whole time is I was just updating my investors. Like I'm moving to Provo and learning oil painting. I need a break. And everyone's like, cool, whatever, go, you know, go have at it, whatever. And, uh, and I, so I emailed Kleiner. I'm like, I want to open source this whole thing. Like, it's not going to be a significant business. We worked really hard. Like, why not just give it away and see what happens? Like WordPress style, right? And, Beautiful. Uh, and they were like, you know, like, this is weird, but like, you know, you can do whatever you want, but like, we still own IP. Like, it was, a, it was a conversation where I kind of was trying to get them to say, let's just write it off. Yeah. And, and they said no. And, and then months later, uh, I get an email from them out of the blue. I put that email in that failure post. Uh, it's just like, it's literally just that one line. It's like, you know, we want to buy back the shares for a dollar. Uh, you know, do you want to talk about that? And I was like, or sell, sorry, sorry, sell the shares, right? And I was like, yeah, I was, I mean, like, and I literally was on the phone. I was like, what's the catch? I mean, like you're, you, you invested seven or eight million bucks. Like, why are you selling it back for a dollar? 
I never really got an answer. Uh, well, the, you know, the tax write off. So the tax write off, because if they yeah. have th this loss, like let's say they had Slack or something and they made a billion dollars in Slack, now they've got 7 million in losses that they can take against that, you know, and that's how tax works so they're they're kind of if you're a good, if you're a good fund like that you basically are guaranteed on your downside to limit it to at least your tax write-off that you'll you'll be able to get out of it like i mean imagine and so. also it, it gives closure imagine you're sending mm -hmm. like for example with mahalo and inside now now in the second decade it hasn't had an outcome for folks but it's doing well enough and at some point sequoia's gotta close that fund because <laughs> now we're in year 12 or 13 so it's like come on jake al hurry up and then at some point they might say to me the same thing like hey here's a dollar let's just because we want to <laughs> they want to wrap the fund and yeah. but now i think people are starting to get used to funds being maybe 15 or 20 years because you could have things that hang out there and then all of a sudden have an uptick and you know the founders who don't give up sometimes thrive um, and that's why I'm, I'm big into resiliency and i have a lot of respect for what you've done um so you buy it back, they get the write-off, great, everybody's cool. And then you decide, you have all these uh, folks who love the products, you decide you're gonna do this equity crowdfunding thing. Republic yeah. contacted you, you contacted them. Yeah. How did it go down? Yeah, well, um, the rolling funds kind of happen in between this, sure. um, but but uh, we'll, 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 we can get to that. But like, yeah, basically what happened is I, I was like, I, I think creators should just own this thing like over time. Mm. And so I tweeted out in like the last year, I think, or the year before last year, 2019, I said, you know, what's the right way to do this? LT, is it crypto? Is it LTSE? Is it something else? Like, you know, this is when Reg CF was still very new and, and, and you could only raise a million bucks. And I looked at it and it was just, it was, it would basically cost I think you did it, right? It, it costs a significant amount of capital to just do the million dollar round. Like if you can raise a million bucks from VCs for free off safes, like that's a way better outcome. And so we we had a, co a conversation and we just never really did anything with it. And and then when Gumroad started growing faster in 2020 because of COVID and and I had this new audience uh, from, you know, from kind of just tweeting about the, the failure stuff and all that, like um, I, I was like, this is perfect. I mean, we can we can, you know, we can take advantage of this jobs act, these new changes that are coming live and be the first and just kind of hopefully quote unquote, I wouldn't say pioneer it because people have been doing it for a long time, but be a really good case study. Kind of like what I did with rolling funds, right? Like I was able to kind of show people like, what are the benefits of this product versus mm. just like, what are the technical specs? Right. Mm. Um, and so I think it, it I th that's kind of my goal with the, with this crowdfunding round in large part is just to make crowdfunding cool and like try to make it a thing. Because I think it's important. I think you agree. Like more people should be yeah, investing I mean, startups. I've been trying to get this going and it's so hard with the equity crowdfunding because there's a million dollar cap. A lot of our founders are like, well, I'd rather just take a million or three million from accredited investors from the syndicate, have 150 people uh, in one SPV rather than have a thousand or whatever it winds up being in a, in a crowdfunding. And well, that's capped at a million. Well, what, you know, I, I don't want just exactly. a million. And then I have to do all this extra work to just get a million. So you're, you're basically- it's this was the problem with the SEC's approach here, um, or the challenge, I shouldn't say it's, it's necessarily a problem, but it's a challenge because they're trying to balance protecting consumers um, while providing the opportunity. And every time you try to protect consumers, you create red tape, and you and I can go to Vegas right now with our entire net worth, you could put it on black, I could put it on red, and then it comes out double green, we both lose everything. Nobody educated us, nobody told us anything, we put down a million dollars each and boom, gone. Uh, and, and no recourse, yeah. but if you want Nothing. to put $500 yeah. or $5,000 or $50,000 or 50, whatever, 
into an equity crowdfunding. They have to be audited. They have to do all the stuff. And I understand why, but I think it should be, you know, what my best advice to the SEC is to say, uh, everybody gets to spend up to $5,000 a year on any product, any project or whatever. Um, and uh, any company can do up to $5 million, And, you know, there doesn't have to be, you know, as much red tape or limitations, right? Just if you put the cap on the individual, you could kind of keep the crater of if there was a fraud or if there was a, an action taken or, you know, anybody did something fugazi, what would the, what would the crater look like? $5 million or $5,000 yeah. per individual. It's not actually the risk of ruin for most people. People can recover from yeah. it, in other words. No, you're exactly right. Like, just say, you know, you can, it's 5,000 or 10% of your net income, you know, whatever. Net worth, is, yeah. Net, net is your revenue for the year, right. Net, or, or exactly. Like, well, yeah, there's so many ways, frankly, to do it that it's just, it needs to, it, it will happen. I, and, you know, it, it, it seems inevitable to me, but it will take. So, how did you know, it go? Uh, I didn't get the la latest update, but you launched it on uh, Monday of this week, March 14th or 15th or something? 15th, yeah, March 15th. Which so is, the, was the, that Monday? The, and today is, is today Tuesday? Tuesday. Wait, you <laughs> yeah, launched it yesterday. Tuesday. I launched it yesterday. Yeah, I launched what it yesterday. Uh, at 9 a.m. PST, PT. Okay, so uh, noon Eastern time, 9 Pacific. What does it yeah. look like at the end of day one, you know, uh, when you had it was, dinner? It was closed. It was I'm sorry, million. did you say closed? Yeah, it's $5 million we raised. It, in the first day? In the first 12 hours by 9 I'll be right back. Yeah. I got to go raise another round for inside. I'll be right back. <laughs> what the? Seriously, no, you should. I, yeah, you should. I mean, it's I mean, incredible. this is why I'm telling wow. you, man. This is, it's insane. I mean, and the cool thing is we did it, you know, you have to do it. We did it in public. We raised 5 million bucks. We sent Fantastic. updates by the hour on Twitter. Yeah. And and to, to note, uh, we had a $1,000 maximum check size. So wow. we needed, cool. we had, we ended up with seven, I think it's going to be around 7,600 new investors on the cap table or via, you know, via an SPV. Um, but, uh, it's amazing. I mean, if we had a, wow. a no, no max check size and we could raise more than 5 million, like who knows what would have happened. I mean, it's pretty insane. Do you ever wish you invested early in some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? Well, our crowd investors did invest early in many of those awesome IPOs. With our crowd, accredited investors can invest directly and easily in startups early before they IPO or get bought. Our crowd investors have benefited from companies IPOing like Beyond Meat and Lemonade, both of which have seen pretty great returns since they've gone public. And some of the companies have been acquired by buyers like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, Oracle, and Uber, yum yum. The investment professionals at our crowd have already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in over 200 companies with dozens of exits. So here's your CTA, the old call to action. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Shield, an AI powered platform that helps global financial enterprises meet increasingly complex compliance rules. According to the deal memo, Shield addresses an $89 billion market with tools that automatically detect and alert on behaviors that lead to market abuse, employee misconduct, and information sharing. If you're in the finance space, you know all about this, right? You can get in early on Shield and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash twist. I recently wet my beak and I placed a little bet on Syabra, a company that uses AI to uncover disinformation and expose fake news on social media. The rcrowd account is free. Just go to o-u-r-c-r-o-w-d.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode.
So what was the total number of investors in it? 70, I think it's going to be around 7,600. Of those, how many were Gumroad stakeholders already? In other words, the users of Gumroad on either side of the you know transaction. And did you email that list and say, hey, you've bought assets or you use Gumroad, would you like to invest? Yeah. So, so what I did was I emailed the Gumroad creators and I said, Hey, I'm doing a, a I do these open board meetings on YouTube. So I, I mm. said, I'm doing an open board meeting. FYI, if you want to invest in Gumroad, like you should show up to this. Right. And, uh, and so I kind of, the SEC, you know, doesn't really like you doing this kind of thing. So like, Solicitation, now you mean? so now, so that one of the changes that happened Monday, which I think is really, really notable, maybe even more notable than the one to five change. Mm. Uh, the 1 million to 5 million change is you can test the waters. So you can generally solicit, which actually rolling wow. funds like very, very aligned in that, in that front now. Right. And so I think uh, now founders can be, you, for example, can go tweet. You don't even have to do anything. You can just have a Google form and it's like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing these. These are the rough terms I'm going to do. Are you in for how much do you need more wow. info? You know, let's do a I Zoom webinar. I got to Ken from, uh, uh, Ken from um, Republican. Yeah. Congratulate him. Or maybe, we, hey, do me a favor, team. Can we book him to be on the show? Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's, uh, let's, let's talk to him about this. We'll chop it up. Um, so now you have that $5 million. Mm-hmm. You raised it at a $100 million valuation or something like that. Yeah, uh, $100 million pre-money. Which is 10 times or so, um, 10 times your revenue ballpark. Yeah, yeah, around 8.5x uh, it ended up being. Oh, 8.5x. Okay, so in, in today's market, which is hot, that would be kind of reasonable, right? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, I can say this now that I'm not, <laughs> the, the round's closed, so I'm no yeah. longer pitching the company. Yeah. It's cheap. It's very, very cheap. Uh, and the reason I chose it is because I really want crowdfunding to be a thing. And if mm-hmm. I can show people, wow, these people got in at 100 million, really easy mental thing, right? Like, if yeah. we become a unicorn, it's a 10x. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it's just like a very clear story for folks to be like, oh, wow, like I could get in at this price. And and I'd rather dilute myself a few more points, but then get, you know, these 7,600 people a really positive return. Uh, and uh, and many of them, as you mentioned, you know, many of them are our creators, right? So, they, they, they're the reasons we even exist in the first place. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think, I think it was a good, it was a good, it was a good price and it was anchored by, uh, Jason Freed from Basecamp and Naval Ravikant from AngelList oh. and some other some other folks. So well. you lean on them, they put in 100, 250, 500 each and that gets everybody that that gives you some social um credibility, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it turns out we probably didn't need it, but at the time I the, the concern that I had and this is it's it's similar to how I think Jamath did it with Spacs is he just tied his brand to it, right? Yes. And he like he just really put real skin in the game and that's kind of what I wanted to do with with these folks. Why is that so important? Skin in the game. Well, I think I think it's important because there's so much money flying around right now, like mm-hmm. It's just, it's just crazy. It's and, stupid. Let's be honest. I mean, and people like, are spending sixty nine million on an NFT. I mean, I'm not. I'm, there's no. Der- <laughs> I'm not deriding the artist. I'm super happy for the artist, and I'm super happy for the buyer if they don't care about money, um, or they want to reward an artist with sixty nine million dollars. I know that was a collection of work, and but I mean, mm-hmm. it is, it is pretty stupid out there. Let's be honest. There's been a lot of wealth creation recently, right? And that needs to get invested back into the into risk capital which is effectively like what tech companies and crypto and that's Appar- it apparently right it's also non-fungible non oh and now, yeah exactly tokens yeah. and <laughs> you know bitcoin and everything else i mean it's just crazy to think that somebody is buying the first tweet ever 
for $2.5 million, but I don't know exactly what you're buying. It's kind of like buying a baseball card, I guess. You don't have any rights. You, there's no way to monetize it except maybe to resell it. I'm interested to see, yeah. actually. That would be the ultimate test is if that $2.5 million tweet or that $69 million NFT sell ever again for anything related to the purchase price now. What is your guess? In 10 years, you think either of those could be sold for more than they were bought I, for? I think so. Yeah, I really do. What's your I mean, thesis? I, my, my, my thesis is, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of paradoxical, I think, but like basically the value, the value of it is created by not selling it, but to actually get the value of it, you need to sell it. Um, and it's also just how many people know about it, right? Like, why is the Mona Lisa worth what it's worth? It's because everybody knows what the, I can say that. And you know, it would, wow. you know, it, it's, so I, th I think it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if enough people care enough about this for long enough, it just like, by the way, just like a startup, right? Like, just like reaching. Well, I mean, a startup a might also social. have profits that would then be dividends that would then you could buy it fair. for future cash flow. So fair, fair. That's yeah, why so I art, think these NFTs with the art, if the art could be, yeah, I mean, art is delightful anyway, if you love it. And but I think it's also a bit of a status game. That's what my thinking is. I think the people buying these, I believe they both uncloaked themselves. They seem to be playing a status game where they're using their ability to purchase that like somebody in a club who purchases 10 bottles of champagne and it comes on a float with sparklers is showing I can buy $10,000 worth of champagne and I give a shit. It's, you know, then everybody wants to come to your table and have some of your $10,000 champagne, which actually costs 500. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, it's the fact that other people care about it, right? It's a, it is totally 100% a status game. Uh, mm. So that, that is just very hard to predict, right? Like, cause who knows? It's like fashion, like who knows where it goes, uh, versus with a, you know, if you're building a, a product, right. That has clear value. It's a little and easier profits, to predict that and distribution and profits and exactly. And, and a chance that somebody might buy it down the road. I mean, there's still a chance that somebody might buy it down the road. What I'm interested in is, do you have the, when you buy that tweet, if I bought that tweet from Jack, could I then, could I then, if I bought that tweet, make t-shirts and calendars and posters and license it to other people? Like, are you actually yeah, buying I mean, the underlying right to monetize it in perpetuity in all mediums and forms now created or in the future? Well, the, the problem is you're, you're combining two different worlds, right? Where there's this crypto world, which is all code and all mm. uh, these non-fungible tokens and, and sort of everything is, is, is in software. And then you have like IP, which is like litigated in real life in like the US, you know, like trademark system, right? Like all the copywriting, et cetera. Like, so I think you basically, I think, I think what you need to do if, if that, if you wanted that to happen, right? If you wanted that to work in a way that was like fair mm. and everyone was bought into it, you would basically have to figure out how to replicate every single thing that we figured out in contract law or in IP yes. protection, which and we replicate have in it in a crypto yeah. kind of way. Right? I mean, if you think about it in terms of music, if you're Neil Young and you own, uh, you don't own, you own the physical tapes when you, you know, recorded the album Harvest or the Beatles have the, you know, White Album and they have the physical tapes. They own those tapes. They may have sold the rights for the royalties, for the mechanicals or the performance royalties to other people. So they own the rights to the masters to exploit them commercially, but you actually have the physical tapes that were in the recording studio, but you can't then make albums out of it or sell it to Pepsi for a commercial. Yeah. Uh, just to fill in the audience, the buyer of the $69 million 
uh, NFT, which was done by the artist Beeple. Is that his name? Uh, Beeple was an Indian, apparently an Indian crypto investor who has one name, Meta Coven. And he is the chief financier behind the Metapurse. I'm guessing Metapurse is some, some kind of wallet. The, this kid has uh, 18,000 followers on Twitter. And uh, we'll get him on the pod. Metapurse <laughs> is a crypto exclusive fund that specializes in identifying early stage projects across blockchain, infrastructure, finance, art, unique collectibles, and virtual state. So as I predicted, this is a pump. Everything in this business is a pump. He is in the digital asset business, so he just anointed people. Who knows how many beeples he owns previously, or how many other NFTs he owned? Or he owns a lot of beeples, by the way. He owns almost all of them. Ah, yeah. So now we see what's happening. This is exactly what people in the <laughs> art market do. The yeah. art gallery goes to their best clients and says, "Hey, this new show is coming. There's 30 pieces." Here's 15 of them. You can buy it at this great price. If you buy them right now, great. Thank you for the cash. Other 15 are there. Then people bid up those last 15 and their scarcity. Then those people sell five of those paintings, triple their money, and they got the original 10 for free. And the gallery got to turn over the inventory twice and they got monetary velocity so they could take their VIN. Yeah. And it's it's all that's and that's classic pumping and dumping. Yeah, I'm not well, saying one he's thing dumping to, add to here. the to the to the fine yeah. art example is then you you give it to a gallery or a museum and you get the off. tax right and then you get the tax right off too oh, and you're then you the get tax the kleiner right dollar you get the dollar email on the, <laughs> on the on the value of this painting that has been pumped right exactly you don't get it on what you bought it for and Man, so the, there is there is a lot of incentives here that i i think are not necessarily good uh but they will clear. be replicated in, in yeah. nft it will just be at least in that world you should mm -hmm. be able to see it all it should be transparent right so if it's right. happening you should be able to see it and then then you can argue uh -huh. if it's right or wrong, but at least in the art, you know, it's at least it's more, I think, more right. uh, sort of decentralized, right? Versus yeah. like, you these, wouldn't these know in fine the art, art galleries or whatever. Yeah, you wouldn't know the fine art galleries were running this kind of scam, or you wouldn't know what the things actually sold for. And here it's all on the blockchain. And I'm not sure in the Beeple example, but what I love about the Beeple example or the, the NFT example is that you can set how much I get in the resale value. So I get 10% of the next one or the next one. So the artist, has 10% ownership in their piece forever. So if that piece trades 20 more times in their lifetime at increasing value, they've essentially, if they're getting 10%, sold the entirety of the piece two more times. They got to sell it essentially three times. Yeah, if, if that is a very interesting idea. Yeah, That is a very interesting idea. Like this idea that these royalties almost are baked into that, like into that transfer of ownership. That is really interesting. Um, but you know who? Yeah, who knows? NFTs are yeah, it's it, they're interesting. Well, you started with digital assets, so that's sort of interesting. I wonder how you're thinking about NFTing or blockchaining Gumroad. Are <laughs> is that like in the back of your mind where you're like, I wonder if this is going to apply to courses? Yeah, and, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, definitely. You know, I'd listen to creators, right? And creators are very, very uh, aware of NFTs because it's a way that they're seeing other creators make quite a lot of money. Yeah, uh, which isn't always good. You know, it depends how many people, what's the long tail look like, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's very, it's very interesting. I don't. We have no plans or you know, no, mm. no commits to kind of pursue this yet. Um, but who knows? It's so unpredictable. Uh, I think. If there's a real market for it and creators want it, we'll we'll build we'll build some way of maybe you can you can either sell NFTs on Gumroad or you can 
NFT the products you've already sold on Gumroad and say you have the one of one of this digital product that I've been selling for years, but now I'm doing the the one for you know the one of one of it. Uh, and if that's compelling to people, then you know I can't really I don't know. For me, it's not a value. You know, it's like whatever. Sure. Okay, let's pivot over to the rolling funds. Tell me, w- explain to the audience what a rolling fund is and how it's different and distinct from both a traditional fund and a syndicate. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, credit to David and, and Naval for this. Uh, it's it's effectively a uh, a fund that starts at zero and you raise money on a quarterly basis and you deploy capital on a quarterly, effectively, you know, out of a quarterly fund. Uh, and you, uh, so it's similar to a fund in the sense that it's a blind pool of capital. People give you capital. It's just instead of a two-year fund or a three-year fund, it's an ongoing quarterly subscription, right? So it's like a Netflix subscription per se for a fund, which I, I really like. I think it just, it's really clean for people who haven't done LP, you know, institutional investors are like, what the hell is this thing? But individuals are like, yeah, this is how I think about putting money into Vanguard or crypto. So, like, this makes sense to me. Uh, and then, so and then it's the a other quarterly thing, commit. Got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can do it openly, right? So I can tweet like I have a fund, which generally in venture capital you have not been able to do, and a lot of VCs don't do that because their funds aren't set up in, in that way. And that's called uh, what is that? Five hundred six C or something? Exactly right. Yeah, it's five hundred six C. So five hundred six C versus five hundred six B. Get your own attorney here, but. The general rule is general solicitation. And general solicitation means what for somebody who doesn't understand this? Yeah, it's basically you're pitching, you're selling, right? Mm. You're you're going to a forum of some sort. When the rules were written, it was literally like a town square. I, you know, there's no internet <laughs> in the 30s when it, when these rules were put into place. But yeah, effectively, you would. I, I assume it was to prevent people from basically going to strangers and trying to sell them, like you see timeshares or or the people on Clubhouse or whatever. Right? It's that sort of thing that they wanted to prevent. So effectively, you could only. Uh, sort of solicit on a, on sort of your in your own network. You would have to kind of like network your way into a fund, which as a non VC person, like I was, I didn't know how to do. I didn't really have, even though I was in startups and I raised money, like I didn't know what a family office was, right? I didn't know what an, like an endowment. How do I, I? I still don't know, frankly, how I would get in front of a lot of those those folks. Uh, so I think it just like allowing me to just tweet about it is like huge because there all these people, by the way, are in my audience. I just don't know who they are, right? Right. And they of, don't know you're raising a fund. So exactly. The only way for you to actually raise money is for you to get an introduction to somebody or somebody to reach out to you and you cannot generally solicit. And the reason this existed was they wanted to save people from, I don't know, being convinced to give away their retirement savings to some copper mine or gold mine and Albuquerque or something. <laughs> I mean, literally, yeah, I think it's like, exactly. I think this comes yeah, from the me. Great Depression and like that era is my understanding yeah. of when these laws came from. So you start just telling people I have a rolling fund on the Twitter. Yeah. And what happens? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty in, it was pretty insane. And just just to give a little bit of context, the reason I started one was I I, I tweeted out after the George Floyd protest. I tweeted out I want to invest in Black founders. I got a bunch of emails. I wrote four checks. Uh, and, and then I, I, you know, three of them were looking for more capital. So I emailed Naval and a bunch of other folks saying, Hey, you know, these, these startups I invested in are looking for more. And Naval just replies being like, you should start a fund. I'll anchor it, help you get started. We have this new rolling funds product you could use. 
uh, start at zero, see where it goes. Uh, used, you know, I, at that point, he was like, you know, start at zero, use your network. He didn't, it, at that point, openness wasn't really part of the conversation. Uh, I kind of introduced that to rolling funds. And I remember having a call with the Angels team and they're like, do you want a 506B or a 506C? And I was like, what does the 506C get you? And they're like, you can tweet about it. <laughs> and I you're was like, like, okay, that one, please. <laughs> well, what's the downside <laughs> then? The Why doesn't everybody do it? Why doesn't everybody do a 506C as opposed to a 506B? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, frankly, I think a lot of it is just like lack of awareness that it's possible. Uh, mm-hmm. But two, there, are two, there are two actual literal reasons. One is uh, with a 506B, you can technically have th- up to 35 non-accredited. So if you wanted a bunch you know, friends and family into your, into your startup or into your fund, that's possible. I don't know if anyone actually does it because I've heard the liabilities are still there. So lawyers will tell you not to. Uh, but, but really, the reason people don't do it is ju- it's just burdensome, right? Like to the reason you can generally solicit uh, for a 506C is that you basically, after you generally solicit them and they sign up, you have to verify that they are accredited or qualified. How does that occur? Verifying somebody's a, accredited. Yeah. So in my case, for example, like I had to get my CPA to write a letter that says that I'm worth X and over X amount of money. Uh, so somebody with an accreditation assets. will then prove that you're accredited and put their CPA license, lawyer, whatever on the line. And there are exactly, also right. now third-party services. I know Assure Fund Management, um, which I use for my back end. They have a service that does this. And I believe AngelList does it for you, right? Like, and I don't know if they charge yeah. 50 bucks for it or what they charge for it or if it's just baked into the cost of doing all this. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's baked in. And, and my guess is it will, you know, it will be standard, you know, five years from now. I can't imagine. Like, why not? Like, all this stuff should be automated anyway, right? Or as yeah. close as possible. And I have 200 LPs, and it wasn't a concern, honestly, to get everyone verified. It was, I think, more burdensome on, on AngelList, and they they handled it for me. So, yeah, this it's is pretty, it's pretty great. Attorneys are always going to tell you to take the easy way. Um, that is the least exposure. It's kind of their job, right? So, hey, you're exactly. gonna you're gonna add risk, and they want to mitigate risk. But there is also the upside, and the upside is I'm watching you do this, and I'm like, at the same time you're doing this, I was closing Launch Fund Three, and I'm like, I got a bigger following than this kid, <laughs> and he's out there talking about fun. I can't talk about my fun. I'm going crazy. And they're like, well, you elected to do this, and so you have to stay in the lane. And I'm like, ah. The next fund, I'm doing what you did, uh, I think, if I even do another fund. I'm not sure if I'm going to even do a launch fund for because I have the syndicate. It's growing so big. I don't know if I need it. <laughs> it's like I could just do syndicate yeah. deals all day and you don't even need to have a fund. Um, so it's really interesting how this new concept is um, really uh, enabling people like yourself who've never done investing to have a fund. What, where is the fund now? What Every quarter you get how much money? From these um, investors, yeah. Right now, it's at around it's around twelve million dollars a year, so it's around three million dollars a quarter that I get. So right each now. person's putting in on average fifty to one hundred k per quarter or per uh, per year. year. But I have I have two hundred LPs, two hundred LPs. Uh, so got it. so yeah. So the way it's set up, it's actually two funds. One's a mm. QP vehicle and a one's qualified a purchaser, which is people who have over I think ten million in. Network. Five, five million. Oh, is it five, five now? Yeah. So five million qualified yeah. purchasers. So they get treated another way because they're like, they're beyond accredited slash. <laughs> sophi- when you hear the word accredited, just think sophisticated or rich. And then when you hear qualified purchaser, you think really rich. Like Ricky Gervais, you know, kind of money. <laughs> like NBA player money, not just rich in yeah. Silicon Valley money. Um, exactly. So 
the other thing though is they have to pay in every quarter and at any point in time they can change their investment amount correct yeah so exactly how many quarters into your rolling fund are you i'm on my third quarter now have you seen people actually take advantage of that where they say, you know, oh, I'm feeling rich instead of my 10K a quarter commitment, I'm going to go to 30 or, oh, consequently, I need money for whatever. I'm, you know, selling a home or got a divorce, whatever life events going on, uh, buying a home. I'm going to take this quarter off. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen, I have seen the former. I'm not sure if I've seen the latter. I've seen, I've seen the latter once actually, at least once. Okay. Um, but mostly it's the former and it's, it's, I think it's because people want to deploy more capital from the beginning, but mm. now they can get comfortable, right? So they can ah. start with 10 K a quarter and then two quarters in, like I've had people go from like 10 K to 50 K and wow. that, that isn't like a life of, that is like, that's 5x it's a big deal i mean it's basically going from 40k to 200k a year i mean you start and then over five years you're talking about the difference between 200k over five years or a million dollars i mean and so in a way i mean i don't mean to say this in a derogatory way but for new fund managers uh and i am in my third fund even with the massive success i've had i mean it's pretty ridiculous when you look at my irr (laughs) i mean i don't want to i'm not trying to brag here but i got really lucky with a couple of investments I have a hard time raising from the traditional LP group and they tell me they need more, you know, evidence that I'm good at this and I'm in year 11. Uh, when you're a new fund manager, first time fund manager, you basically set up a $12 million fund, which is really the equivalent of a $36 million fund, you know, cause they usually get deployed over three years and your first time up at bat and yeah, off a tweet, <laughs> off a tweet. And now you do that. And it's like, Whoa, this is unbelievable. Like this rolling fund. And, it's it's uh oh so the thing i was going to say that you know would be you know maybe some people would take this in a derogatory way it's almost like a pretty short leash or training wheels where it's like okay and you kind of implied it yourself like they trust you so it's mm-hmm. hard to trust a new manager because what if they're a total screw up what if they give the money to their friends or they invest in non-venture businesses whatever they tell you one thesis there's a lot of trust involved in this so instead of in that example the person giving you a million dollar commitment for your fund they started at 10 or 200K over the life of the fund, maybe. And then they upped it and upped it and upped it and upped it to the point at which they felt comfortable. Or mm-hmm. conversely, if they're like, these, you're investing in companies that don't make any sense to me. Where, who, where did you, how'd you pick these? They can then say, I'm out. Exactly. Yeah, I think it, no you know, it has pros and cons. But it's, I'm hopeful that, you know, I have no... Uh, institutional LPs in my fund. And I don't think I would be able to get them. <laughs> like they would have, as you mentioned, they would look at me and be like, come back in 15 years, you know? Yep. Uh, <laughs> Trust me. And I <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I just think they don't get yeah. it or they don't, you know, it's just the risk prof- like the risk is just too high by default. Just like the, the commitment that they intend to make that they basically will only do it for people they've known for like 20 years. They went to school with, which inherently leads it's to actually, a very homogenous community. Yeah, it is pretty homogenous. I think it's actually even less pernicious than that. That. it's actually that they have a committee they go to they can add but one two three funds a year and the existing funds let's say the you know really blue chip funds like a Kleiner um, you've seen them do bigger and bigger funds you've seen them do a you know a scout seed series a growth opportunity secondary share crypto they all of a sudden come up with 10 different fund ideas. If you're some giant school's endowment, 
and you say no to Kleiner's, you know, sixth new fund, in your mind, this is what they've told me, at least, I'll take Kleiner out of it, Acme Ventures, you know, so Delta University has got a relationship with Acme Ventures. Acme Ventures comes up with four new products. And the, the, the firm, the, the, the endowment doesn't participate. They lose access to the ones they were in originally. So now they're just getting squeezed by, you know, Andreessen Horowitz has like 15 funds in 10 years. And so what I've heard from them is like, we have to be in the next Andreessen fund or else they won't let us in the other ones. Therefore, there's no room for new fund managers. So essentially, these giant funds have taken all the air out of the room with the, that set of LPs, which then leads us to be independent of them. So this is their big mistake. Someone like you is going to make their own way in the world or me with my syndicate. And by the time one of those big funds wants to participate, it's like, well, we don't need you. And that's what I told them last time I went on the tour. I was like, um, you realize they're probably not going to need you anymore because if the syndicate goes from 2,000 to 4,000 people, I'll have escape velocity. And now it's 7,000 people. So it's like, eh. You don't need them. You, you, you you, yeah, need exactly. Them. This new this new democratization that we're talking about here, both from crowdfunding and from rolling funds and from syndicates is just crazy. Um, do you tell them what you're investing in every quarter? Do you give them a quarterly report? How do you communicate to the rolling fund LPs what you're doing or do they even care? Most of them don't care too much. I basically email them once a quarter with an LP update saying these are the 12 companies that I invested in. Here's the some stats, median valuation, et cetera. And then I do a Zoom call. I'll probably do it on Clubhouse going forward. And that's it oh. you know, for, for another oh. three months. So it's a very And you were able to do the Series A in Clubhouse. Congratulations on that. You got your beak wet. Thank you. <laughs> I got my beak wet. Yeah. Well, you got Thanks Mark Andreessen. Yeah. And you got Mark Andreessen as an LP in your fund as well. Uh, congratulations on that. He's awesome. Uh, oh, it's weird actually, but. It's also awesome. <laughs> He's a little bit weird. He's a smart. He's smart. Yeah, you know, smart people get when when a smart person gets really rich, they get <laughs> weird sometimes. That's Mark. He's super smart. Smart plus money, and then you just draw a line. And it's like weird. <laughs> blocks. He he's an LP of my fund. Then he blocks me. Then he won't come on the podcast. <laughs> but then he wants his partners on the podcast. And his PR person's emailing me. And it's just like. Can we just have a normal relationship, Mark Andreessen? Like, why does it have to be so weird with Andreessen Horowitz? Such a weird firm. Um, all right. Congratulations on your amazing success. Did we miss anything? Thank you. Uh, what did we miss? Uh, I don't know if we missed anything. No, I think, I think we got I think we got Are it. you happy? You seem really happy. Thank you. That means a lot, honestly. No, um, I just, I see the joy on your face. You seem so engaged. And I know you had a rough patch. Maybe you could speak to, if you are in fact happy, you know, uh, this arc of a story we went through where you were, you know, staring at the ceiling and then had to go paint oil paintings yeah. to get your head straight. W what have you learned in all of this crazy Meshuggah and 10 years of, you know, ups and downs? You have any advice for the, yeah. uh, for the 19 year old Sahils out well, there coming up in the world? I, th I think when you're, when you're that young, you're kind of on that, your, your, your Y slope seems stratospheric, right? Mm. But more likely what it has, it's asymptotic. <laughs> it's more likely that you, you maybe for some reason you had a little bit, you know, but a lot of these prodigies, you know, they, they're eight, you're at eight, they're like, they're 20, but then when they're 25, they're like everybody else who's 25 who worked hard to get there, you know? Mm. Um, so I think I just really wish I just told myself, like, you don't have to figure this thing out by the time you're 23 because Zuck did and Steve Jobs did. And if you don't, you're screwed, you know? Uh, so be patient just, with yourself. 
I mean, it's kind of like what you said, like it's the chip on the table thing, right? Uh, yeah. It's just like stay in the game. If you enjoy the game or if you, you know, like stay in the game as long yeah. as you still have conviction and enjoy yourself, like don't, you know, I'm having a lot of fun. I can like, see that. Think, yeah. That's great. You know, the rolling fun and it's, 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 and I mean, that's such a big part of it to me because like, if, you know, as you mentioned, like talking to these institutional LPs, like it wouldn't be fun for me. Right. Like I no, would fail trust because me. they would, it would be. <laughs> Imagine having way, somebody take every investment. Imagine in five years, somebody taking every investment you have, having five MBAs, do every form of spreadsheet, and then take the companies you don't even remember you invested in that were complete total screw ups and be like, tell me about this investment you made. And I was like, at one point, I'm in like one of the great halls of capital. And they're like, tell me this one. I'm like, great story. That founder absconded with the money and disappeared and ghosted us. And then we started getting all kinds of crazy legal notices about him not shutting the company down properly. And we still can't find him. Wow. And there's like 12 <laughs> people in the room and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you know, we make 50, 100K bets. And, you know, we back then we didn't really do much diligence. Now we have a better diligence process. But yeah, that was a complete and utter disaster. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, what do you think can happen? You invest in somebody, they're 19, 20 years old, like, Mark Zuckerberg yeah, was or was was like that's kind of how it works it's really messy and then sometimes it works out brilliantly and then there's a spectrum yeah. in between of every permutation but if you're looking for perfection do not do not work with humans and certainly not entrepreneurs and startups early stage startups mm -hmm. there is no perfection here if you if perfection is your goal for the love of god get out a chessboard and spend 10 hours a day just grinding it out on a chessboard yeah. because you will get to a 2000 rating and you know well i would say the other thing i would add is just like it's such a beautiful time where you anyone can build and can learn any skill basically for free on the internet be careful you'll uh, get canceled for that <laughs> i know i know you say it's that ridiculous. Pe what is that so dumb you're like wow the ridiculous. world is so much better oh now gosh. and they're like no it's not and it's like it sucks are I'm you like, sure no it's pretty good for me pretty great uh, so and the last time i checked i don't think you're a cis white male <laughs> no i'm not i mean uh, i can guess you're a male unfortunately i think but i don't want to make any judgments here but i mean if you literally say that every skill you can get online it's, people lose I, their yeah. mind and they're like i joke that if i was white i'd be canceled already oh man <laughs> get a little bit more leeway <laughs> trust me if you if you were if you were me because i i can tell you what it'd be like i say this stuff and then they're like Jason Calacanis has the number one most racist tweet ever. And I'm like, I do? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, what is the tweet? And it's like, uh, anybody can learn anything. Uh, everything is on YouTube now. And they're I'm like, I'm getting canceled. It's like, you don't take into account systematic racism. I'm like, this has nothing to do with racism. I'm just talking about the, the how-to videos on YouTube. Yeah. You know, and you're, MIT you're, courseware. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, I learned, I, I, w I was employee number two at Pinterest. How did I get there from Singapore uh, with no degree? I learned to code using Stanford's iOS development course, CS193P, that's available online for free to everybody. Yes, uh, but you don't you have to go to Stanford. How did you do that without an internet connection? Because that's, that's the response <laughs> I get. Or you didn't have a computer. You didn't have, and it's like, are, are you sure people don't have computers and internet connections anymore because they're free at McDonald's and a Chromebook is $100 slash free? Yeah. And there's Wi-Fi you know, for free in every cafe very, in the world. Very privileged, but you know, uh, my parents did not, uh, you know, they immigrated yeah. from India to Long Island, like, and you, yeah, I know, I know you have your story and Chamats and all these and Nivals and Balajis and like, it just, it's, I think a lot of people don't really realize, like, you have empathy for what they're saying. You've been through that. 
all right. they see is where you are now uh, with your 11 home runs or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I just – and I, I honestly think they just they just are, you know, uh, uh, they're just, just sad. They're just, you know, it just there, it it doesn't is. feel and fair. And 100% of the time, or I'd say 98% of the time, they're ri- rich white liberals living in a coastal city who are saying poor people, specifically poor non-white people, don't have access to computers, don't have access to YouTube, don't have access to the internet. And I'm like, you can go to the Pew Research Center and see the percentage of people who have access. I think that you're basically saying that poor people are dumb or too dumb to get to an internet connection. Like, I think what you're saying is kind of racist. I know you're trying to be (laughs) anti-racist, but what you just said is poor people don't have motivation. Are you crazy? When you're poor, man, you're motivated. Like when I was broke, I was motivated. That is a motivating thing for people when you're broke and you want to get smarter and get better. I think there's just a gap between people even knowing where to begin. That's, yeah. I think that's the actual problem. Because every time I talk to people, they're like, where do I start? And I'm like, just Google, just Google <laughs> how to do a startup and just read everything. And when we meet a founder who's figured it out, that's what they did. And almost universally, they, they started, they say, I started with a Google search or a YouTube search. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mind boggling, but it is what it is. And yeah, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I did listen to my own advice, you know, it's, it's not advice I didn't listen to, but it's like built, especially today, like, like there, like, for example, if you're an aspiring VC for whatever reason, like first don't be, but if you are like, don't try to go up the, don't like, don't climb the ladder. Like there's no, no reason to do this. No. Uh, Side door, go, man, go through the, get I always smart. go through the exit, go through the exit door, fire door. Yeah. Get smart, write stuff on the internet, yep. uh, start a blog, go viral, yeah. show that you know what you're talking about, build an audience, tweet out that you have a rolling fund and Done. get started that way. Right? And don't like overthink had, it. And yeah, there are some gatekeepers in the, in the way, but like, I don't know, it's, 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 I really believe it's manageable. And I, I worry that when, when, if you just hear that it's not possible, like if you get this far, there's going to be a ceiling here. You're not going to be overcome, you able to the- overcome. You're just not going to try. Right? And that's I the believe that I can part. do anything. Yeah. And I think that is a quality that you – I mean, Draymond Green said this. Like, how do you be number one? Well, first, you have to believe that you have the ability to be number one. Yes. And if you work hard, like, it'll it'll happen for you. It's not going to be easy and you're going to yeah. – you know, but it, but it's possible. Trust me, he works hard. And then you look at, I'm like – sure he works. Well, I mean, and then you just I – w- I was literally talking to you the other day about, like, his goals <laughs> for this season. And – or before the season started, and he was really working on his passing. And he was talking about just, you know, his understanding of the floor and his ability to, and I said, do you work like on one thing? He's like, well, I try to improve everything, but I do sometimes find something that I really want to get really good at. And mentoring Wiseman and some other players was a big focus of his and his ability to direct the floor. So now you have Draymond Green getting 15 assists in a game. It's like... The, what? The, the ceiling is we haven't even gotten close to it in terms, you know, and that's what I get so excited about is like how early it is. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, start planting those seeds, right? Like how many passes has Draymond made Dr- Draymond made in the last, I don't know, a million. I literally don't know what order of magnitude, but it's, it's, it's more bad passes than you've had perfect passes, like, or vice versa, right? Like he's had yeah. more bad than you've had good. Like, yeah. Uh, he, he, yeah, I think you have to embrace that part. And yeah, I, I just, I did, and I just think everyone should do it. And every, every time I meet a founder who's like, I wasn't able to raise from VCs, I'm like, well, have you, like, what have you built? Have you learned to code? And often the answer is- What skills is, do you have? Yeah. And they're like, no, I'm an idea person. It's like, 
Yeah. Congratulations. You and 7 billion other people on the planet who cannot stop thinking about every idea that rolls into their mind. Like, you get zero credit for ideas. And now with crowdfunding, potentially you don't even need VCs, right? Arguably, if you can build an audience, you can now raise up to $5 million direct from your community of 1,000, 2,000, your 1,000 true fans, right? Like exactly. it's coming true more it and is, more. So. It is literally like Kevin Kelly's 1,000 true fans theory, which was basically if you have 1,000 true fans, you'll never be hungry because you can do a comedy show or sing a song and sell it to 1,000 of them who will buy your dollar song yeah. or 10 and there's comedy set. those thousand people are there there's seven billion people so at least one seven millionth of the people will you know should like your thing and literally find, hopefully find you literally to it's so interesting that this essay that kevin kelly did so long ago is now re-emerging we just literally on the last week uh toby from shopify episode 1184 uh for those of you going into the archive um talked about it and it was uh the thousand true fans has never been more true and VCs are just candidly too, their funds are so big and it's so messy and so much work as we talked about earlier with like founders just disappearing or, you know, ghosting you as an investor. It's so hard in the early stages that VCs now are like, call me when you want to do an overpriced A. Literally what yeah. one VC told me, like, Jason, I don't want to <laughs> do what you do. What you do is so painful. I want to go skiing. I want to go to Italy. I want to go to Tokyo. And I want you to do all the work, and then I will overpay you for your startups. I will literally give you $10 million for 20% of the company or 15% of the company, and you do all the heavy lifting, and I will mark up your book. But I do not want to make investments in two-person companies anymore. It's too hard. Um, it's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. If you have that capital, then you can, you can start to make those decisions. But if you don't, you got to work really, really freaking hard. And, and by the way, try to get your points on the table. Yeah. And it, it's kind of fun to, yeah, it's kind of fun to play in this. I much prefer the arena of when there's, you know, product market fit is just starting to click. To me, that's kind of the magic is watching that all of a sudden click in, you know, I don't know what your oh, favorite yeah. moment is for a startup, but for me, it's when it's like, we got three people to pay for this and seven people told us to go ourselves and bleep that out. Uh, and, so, <laughs> and all of a sudden, but yeah, then these other three people said we'd pay for it. And then now we got 90 people paying for it. And you're like, what about the seven people who told you to go after yourself? They're like, yeah, who cares about them? I got 90 people paying for this thing. It's working. And you're like, yeah, oh, you figured it out. It's you don't have to get everybody. You just need to get somebody to care. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great yeah, industry. That, that happens like one time per startup per 10 yep. years or something. You know, you need one. You only need one. You oh. only need one. Like, that's the name of my autobiography. You only need to be right once. <laughs> the Jason Callahan story. Uh, Sahil, I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, you're a champ. And uh, congratulations on uh, Gumroad. Congratulations on equity crowdfunding. Congratulations on rolling funds. Congratulations on a big social media following to wetting your beak in Clubhouse. <laughs> Lots of great things going on for you. And uh, let's let's make sure we NFT these oil paintings because the Sahil oil yeah. paintings from that dark era, I don't know what's going on in those paintings, but uh, do they go from like darkness to light over time as your head cleared? I don't know. They What's actually that? do. They do? They're, they actually do, yeah. <laughs> it was like it's pretty stormy crazy. Stormy nights and mud, <laughs> just, just banshees and horrible creatures in the woods and then all of a sudden it's just beautiful hay fields and sunsets and 
rainbows? Yeah, I don't know if I became a better painter or if I just, you know, got happy or something, but probably. Oh, uh, you know what? Happiness just kills art. I mean, I know so many artists <laughs> who got happy and it's just like production was like, Meh. They're like, life is yeah. so good. Why would I go to the studio? Let's yeah. enjoy my well, life. I, 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 was t I was talking to another founder about this. who just started a rolling fund. And he's like, man, I don't know if I would ever. I'm like, I'm so glad I did it this way. Like, I'm never starting a company again. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I already oh. have one. And, you know, but it's like, man, after this, it's just like, do I really want to go back into that? It's very I hard. don't know if I have the energy to do one more, to be honest. I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm still on my first. And I, you know, I'm like, yeah. oof, it's. Yeah. When someone does multiple companies in a row, I'm like, wow, you. You're a masochist. I have a lot. Of, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> for some people, for that. that feeling of the insurmountable odds is the feeling to get up in the morning. For other people, the insurmountable odds, it's like great to have done, but they might, they don't want to climb Mount Everest the third time. You know, it's kind of like I, I climb Mount Everest. That was an interesting experience, but I like oxygen and I like not dying. So maybe I won't go to the top of the highest peak, lose oxygen and crawl past dead bodies that nobody even has the energy or you know effort to take down from the top of the mountain you ever see all the dead bodies on the way up to everest oh my gosh that's basically startups <laughs> it's basically startups except you don't actually die you just have your soul crushed <laughs> so you know if, <laughs> and did you ever see the line of people in line on everest oh yeah. i mean it's, it's like what are you people doing you people are insane and i just thought I put that in my fundraising deck. I just showed the line. I was like, this is what we do. See all those people in line? We give them the money to do that. I, I, and I, I showed the I, dead people. <laughs> I wish I might, if, if I could go back in time to answer your question, I wish I showed Series A Sahil being like, you are actually quite far up, but there's still a lot of dead people ahead of you. So like, you're not. <laughs> Congratulations, you're in line. One out of 20 of you are going to die. And it's going to be brutal because you're going to die of a lack of oxygen. So you're literally going to suffocate while you're freezing to death. Exactly. Still want to go up Everest? Okay. Then do it. Yeah, do exactly. It. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another amazing episode of This Week in Startups. Congratulations to founders on your journey to certain death and pain and suffering. But you never know. It could be glory. You could get that snapshot at the top of the mountain. You could ring the bell on the NASDAQ. Who knows? All right. Uh, great, great catching up with you, Sahil, and continued success. We'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.